It was late April in 2010, and against all the odds, Fulham had a place in the Europa League semi-finals. They were facing German side SV Hamburg for a place in the final of the competition. Their journey up until this point had been nothing but a fairy tale. The run had started 10 months previous in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius and had taken Fulham to the other side of Russia and past some of European football's most illustrious sides. But on a warm evening at Craven Cottage, it was strictly business. Fulham were just one win away from a place in a major European final. If they made it, it would be their first major final in 35 years and only the second time that they would do it in their history. So let's look back at that night as Hamburg came to southwest London. Roy Hodgson's side stood on the edge of unprecedented glory. It was Fulham's 18th match in European competition so far that season, but could they make it a 19th? It had been an incredible run up until the semi-finals, with Fulham defeating some of Europe's heavyweights. Fulhamish's Ben Jarman here explains his confidence after reaching the last four. In my opinion, it was always a possibility that we could have won the Europa League after we beat Juventus, who, despite having a sort of patchy time in, in that specific period, they were clearly the biggest team left in that competition. There was always, once they were eliminated, a big gap for someone to stride in and take it, I suppose. And Fulham, despite being the smallest club of the semi-finalists, had a, a good, as good a chance as anyone else. Obviously, there was Liverpool, there was Atleti, and then there was Hamburg. And I felt like the simplicity of the style of play that Fulham brought to the table under Roy was just... It had really sort of undone a lot of teams that had sort of over committed to to Fulham um, in believing that because they were a smaller club, they could maybe they were maybe there for the taking. And actually, that resoluteness and the fact that we were so concentrated and so clinical in front of goal, and actually at times quite expansive, really played into our hands. And I think it lured teams into a trap. And Ultimately, we took the opportunities really, really well. Fulhamish's Lydia Campbell also felt a degree of optimism, given what we'd achieved before. It seemed that there was something just with us that season. Um, it, it was incredible to see, you know, these these players who um, probably weren't wor- world stars um, coming together and just being able to do something incredible. I can barely even describe how I felt every day that that, that uh, after those games, particularly when it came to um, after the group stages, everyone felt um, that there was something just with us that, 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 that season. Peter Drury was the commentator at Craven Cottage for ITV that night. And he explains how he felt the mood had changed around Fulham now we were in the latter stages. It's funny, isn't it, the way the dynamic changes because Fulham had created an expectation. And although for a, for a club like Fulham, this was already a, a sort of fantasy, that sort of thing shouldn't happen to Fulham after all. And I, I'm sure the fans would understand the spirit in which I say that. Nevertheless, that team had beaten Juventus, had been to the Olympic Stadium Rome, had taken on the then reigning champions, I think, Shakhtar Donetsk, um, and had had a really tough run. And though Hamburg, of course, is a famous club in its own right, 
it, it wasn't quite as sexy a name as Juventus, really. And so I, I guess probably wrongly there might have been a sense that if we can beat Juventus, come on, we can certainly do Hamburg here. Um, it wasn't until this anniversary was brought to my attention the other day, actually, that I looked, I looked at my notes for that game. I'd forgotten that Van Nistelrooy was their centre forward, for heaven's sake. And they were a very, very credible side. Well, to fully grasp the feeling at Craven Cottage on that night, we start with a look back at the first leg of the tie, which took place at Hamburg's Nordbank Stadion. Normally, a trip from London to North Germany would be a simple hop on a plane, but an eruption at the Icelandic volcano... Thank you. Shut much of European airspace in the week leading up to the tie, meaning Roy's squad and most of our supporters had to travel to the match by road. The game wasn't a classic, but those of us who did make the trip witnessed Mark Schwarzer in sparkling form. Krosky for Zeroberto. Rude van Nistelrooy. Opportunities here for the home side, and Schwarzer has to tip it over. Petroipa coming very close for the home side. Still on for Hamburg. Oh, really good stop. That's brilliant goalkeeping. Trakowski here, fancying his chances from distance. Oh, what a save, Mark Schwarzer. Well, we'll go back to the cottage. All level, no goals. What a match we are in store for. So a week later, on the 29th of April, the big night had arrived. Much of the UK that night was gripped by events in Birmingham, as David Cameron, Nick Clegg and Gordon Brown took part in the third and final televised debate ahead of the upcoming UK general election. But at the eyes of the footballing world were on Craven Cottage and Anfield, as Fulham and Liverpool, the last two remaining English sides in Europe, looked to book a place in the Europa League final at the expense of Hamburg and Atletico Madrid, respectively. In the Hamburg camp, it had been a very tumultuous week as Archie Rintat, German football pundit and, of course, Law Fulham fan, explains. Hamburg had lost 5-1 away at Hoffenheim on the Sunday in between the second leg and the first leg, which led to Bruno Labbadia, the coach, being sacked because of there being a rift between him and the players. So... It showed you the desperation from Hamburg's point of view of needing to get into this final at home, particularly because the year before they'd been knocked out in the UEFA Cup semi-finals, as the competition was named then, by arch-rivals Werder Bremen. And the actual goal that led to them being knocked out was really strange as well. It came about because there was this, this paper ball on the pitch. And as their centre-back, Michael Gravgard, tried to pass a ball back to his goalkeeper, Frank Rost, at the time. Like, it hit the paper ball and went out for a corner, which Werder Bremen scored their third from. And this is seen, like, in the the folklore of, of Hamburg as just being one of the most disastrous things that ever happened to them. So they'd had this traumatic time against Werder Bremen where they'd lost to them in the semi-finals of the German Cup and then in the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup as well. So... Getting into the Europa League final in their own stadium was a big deal, particularly to rescue a season which had started so promisingly. They were unbeaten in their first 10 games in the Bundesliga. They topped the table, but then they fell away massively. 
And this game against Fulham was the last chance to salvage their season. Well, let's look at the Fulham team that night. And pre-match, there was only one question on every Fulham fan's lips. The headline, Bobby Zamora plays. He passed the lunchtime fitness test. His inclusion means that Fulham's team is different from the first leg, only at right back, where Chris Baird's suspension leaves a gap for the recently repaired John Pansel to play his first European game this side of Christmas. Pansel and Mark Schwarzer are the only two here who turned out at Goodison on Sunday. Bobby's importance to this team could not be understated. His goals had fired us to victory against Wolfsburg and Shakhtar, and he was the linchpin by which the entire Juventus comeback was launched. So Fulham's team that night was Mark Schwarzer in goal, a back four of Paul Koncheski, Breda Hangland, Aaron Hughes and John Pantsil, a midfield four of Damien Duff, Dixon Atuhu, Danny Murphy and Simon Davies, with Zoltan Gira just behind Bobby Zamora up front. Paul Koncheski, who started that night at left-back, here explains that previous results had given the team belief that this was their night. We had a tough run all the way along um, to get to where we got. So when you go along and you, you go into Roma or you go into Juventus and you play two legs against Juventus and, OK, you lose the first one and then you come back to the cottage and you get a result that we did, you, you, you get that confidence. I think that showed all the way along throughout how how confident we was, especially after we beat Juventus, to go to Hamburg with a jog and knowing to go back to the cottage at our home place with our fans behind us at the time was fantastic. The run we've been on and how much it meant to them and to us, it, uh, we went into the game with all confidence so high. Let's look at Hamburg then, who despite a difficult week on and off the pitch, was still an extremely accomplished side. For Hamburg, a new boss after a horrible defeat at the weekend, but the workforce is broadly the same as last week. Trukowski is suspended, so 22-year-old Robert Tescher under studies in midfield. Left-back Dennis Aogo had a stomach problem and only flew in for the game today. And Croatia's Miladin Petric is preferred up front to the Peruvian Guerrero. Ruud van Nisselrooy is the standout name, I think, from a Fulham perspective, because in our first ever Premier League game, he, of course, scored twice. I, I remember it. I was, I was there. It was a painful occasion. Well, it was, a, it was bittersweet because it was pretty weird to see Fulham scoring twice at Old Trafford. But Ruud van Nisselrooy, I think, he, he, scored, he scored some really good goals against Fulham as well. So seeing his name on the starting lineup. For Hamburg, I think would have rung a few alarm bells for Fulham fans. However, at Hamburg, his time there was not great. He did score a couple of goals, but I think the game that was symbolic for his his time there came in in the months before the game against Fulham, where in a game against Schalke he scored once, but in the second half he lost the ball in his own half and was chasing so hard to try and get it back that he ended up giving away a penalty and it just kind of showed that no matter what he tried it just didn't quite work for him in Hamburg so this was very much not the Ruud van Nesseroy that Fulham had faced when he was in Manchester United colours you also had a future Champions League and World Cup winner at the back there in Jerome Boateng he, he was on his way up but that was very much in contrast to where this Hamburg team was going and that was very much on the way down. Let's get into the match then. It was a balmy evening in southwest London and all four sides of the cottage were packed to the rafters with the Hamburg fans uniquely situated in one part of the Johnny Haynes stand, meaning both the Putney and Hammersmith ends behind the goals were all Fulham. 
The Whites attacked the Putney end in the first half, and Bobby Zamora almost instantly proved his worth to the team. Rolled in for Zamora, touched on for Gira. It's back for Bobby Zamora! And Ross closed him down, and Zamora had to settle for a corner. What a start. The dressing room would have been a better place once he declared his fitness, Bobby Zamora. And the touch here is absolutely lovely. Look, the little one too. And then coming inside the way he did, keeper was fantastic, Ross, because he got out and closed it down. You know, stayed big, as we say so often about the goalkeepers. Look, didn't, didn't commit too early. And what a good left hand that is from the goalkeeper. And on the follow-up. Zamora, who scored within half a minute of the start of the quarter-final second leg. Had a chance inside two minutes here. I think Bobby Zamora, it, it, it was one of those situations where you take a player and make him become important. Sometimes you get re- really great players and they can't do it in certain teams. And sometimes it happens, it works the, the other way around. You get a player who maybe people weren't particularly buzzing whenever he signed. It wasn't it wasn't like someone who we thought was going to fire us into, you know, Euro- Europa League history. But for some reason, everything worked when it came to Bobby Zamora. And I, I do wonder what would have happened if he had been fully fit. For the, the, the end of that Europa League run, his partnership with Guerra was... So, I don't think we've had that at Fulham since since the, those two. The Guerra Zamora partnership, they seem to just know exactly what, what each, each other was going to be doing. Um, Roy Hodgson worked an absolute miracle with, with, with Samora. The Whites would be left to rue not making the most of their bright start as after 22 minutes, our Europa dream was dealt a severe blow. And Petric hit it! Off score! Rocket! That fair flew! And it is a blow to the solar plexus of the Fulham fantasy. Fulham need two. What a hit. What a hit. It was such a good goal. And I think from a Fulham perspective, you were still thinking, OK, we can concede one. Two is going to be difficult. But it was just, I think, the quality of the goal as well stunned Fulham a little bit. I don't remember there being too many chances after that for Fulham. From a Hamburg point of view, I spoke to a colleague recently who told me that when Petrich scored, a German journalist friend of his, who is a Hamburg fan, stood up in the Johnny Haynes stand and celebrated. Didn't provoke anyone, but just stood up because he couldn't contain his excitement. And he actually got thrown out by two old boys behind him, who, for his own safety, he had to go and watch the rest of the game in the, in the press room at Fulham. <laughs> because of his celebration and they feared for him. That's how boisterous the atmosphere was that night. And it was really quite something because that, that's not something that I would necessarily associate with Fulham. The, the boundaries between being an away fan in home ends in Germany is different to that in England. Because in England, it's, if you get caught, then I think you will get hounded out. Whereas in Germany, away fans sit with home fans quite a lot. I've seen it even at Dortmund Schalke, for example, which is the biggest derby in Germany, would happen at Hamburg Bremen as well. But as long as you don't provoke, you're okay. And this guy didn't provoke, but still out he went. When you know it's that important, is it obviously gives you a little uh, a little bit of setback. But for the next five ten minutes, is vital that you don't concede again, and you you group together and you get back to what what we know our game plan was. And 
and we had some experienced players in the team and which helped at the time because they settle you down and they, they get back to what the manager really wants and, and I think it, it, it proved that from when they scored I think I know they had a few chances near the end, but the majority of the game was, was all I You may have noticed from that audio the rousing reaction of the Fulham fans to that Petrich goal going in. It was pretty extraordinary. Peter on the commentary that night remembered it fondly. Those sorts of crowd reactions have to be entirely spontaneous. Nobody, nobody can have preconceived that, premeditated that. And it's on nights like that that you sort of feel that very, very rare, that scarce, that really precious sense of meant to be uh, and and I do recall that at one nil down there was no shrugging of the sort of collective shoulders there was this upsurge of even magnified um, determination that the miracle should occur a, a kind of refusal to almost acknowledge going one nil down it, it's as if Fulham fans brushed it under the carpet and said no that hasn't happened we're, you know, this is still our night. Um, and, and without question, I, I won't have been to Craven Cottage as many times as many of the people who listen to this, but I've been many, many times and I've never known a Fulham crowd like it was that night. It was absolutely phenomenal. So we're into the second half of the match and once again the Craven Cottage crowd was more than playing its part with a chant that will forever go in the history books at Fulham. Paul Koncheski here discusses whether the players were aware of it on the pitch. Yeah, massively, you know. You hear every single word being said, really. And when, when you hear uh, things like that as, as a player when you're playing, it, it gives you that extra 10% to go on and think, they believe in us, we, we can do this, we're, we're still in the game and... We've got a fantastic group of uh, players and if they're pushing us and giving us that extra 5%, 10%, then let's go and do it. And they, they push you right on and when they believe in you, 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 feel, you feel good at, on the pitch. That chant, for me, will have more of a connotation, as you say, than just this match. It, at that period of time, it was one of those experiences where your hair stands on end and it was spine tingling and I think you saw it give the players added impetus and even from that moment on, we had the Stand Up If You Still Believe banner at the game. We had the chant for, for years and years and it always meant something. It always got us through the hardest times. And I think at that point, it was that chant that defined what the result of the night was going to be. And as I said, kicked us on to to take the initiative in the game. And it certainly did spur us on. Uh, it was at a point where we were beginning to look a little bit flat. And I suppose the game was starting to get a little bit more stretched where we were trying to commit more men forward and you felt like perhaps Hamburg were going back into the game slightly. But after that, after that chant, everything just turned on ahead, didn't it? It was amazing. One thing that Fulham had and Hamburg didn't and that English football has and German football doesn't is spontaneity from the fans. And that showed itself in the stand-up if you still believe chant. This was... A final cry from the supporters saying to the team, we are still with you here. Right? We have been with you from the start of this run in Vetra. And, and we have seen the 
injustice of the Roma game, but then we've been there for Shakhtar, for Juventus, for Wolfsburg. And okay, we're 1-0 down, but we're still there. And I think that that is something that German football support does not have. It's all very strictly choreographed by the ultras. And I, I really do think that that made a difference on the night because you could feel the stadium lift for just one more time. And then when that moment of magic from Simon Davis came, you were like, hang on, we can still do this. Here's Davis! It's on! It's on! What a wonderful take! He's hurt himself, but boy, it's worth the pain! And the London Borough of Hammersmith and Fulham is buoyant again! 20 minutes, one goal! We were just about reaching that, the sort of now or never point, weren't we? If, if Fulham were going to do this, they were going to have to score pretty damn soon. And so when they did, it's on. Suddenly you, you were just daring, or not daring is the wrong word, we, you were just threatening to believe, do you know what, maybe this isn't going to happen after all. Um, and they score, and it's on. It is on. And, and with that wave of support, you know, you, you felt instinctively that having got one, boy, there was a very good chance of getting another one. It all starts from that ball from Danny Murphy, doesn't it? It's a, it's a great ball through the heart of the midfield, and it's just on a point where if he hadn't have controlled it as well as he did, nothing nothing would have happened from, from that ball. But the, the, the first touch is magnificent. Absolutely incredible first touch, the way it tees up and he flicks it over the head of the defender. And he's almost in a sandwich of the on-rushing keeper from Hamburg and then Guy Demel, who's scrambling almost to try and get back at Davies for humiliating him in front of you know the biggest stage he had played on in a long time. And then he slots it away with such calmness and before being absolutely clattered, you know, it's a moment of perfection. And then that that sheer perfection is ruined by the fact that he gets absolutely clattered by the keeper and has to hobble off. But I think had he had he not been clattered, then it would have been an incredible, uh, incredible celebration from Davies. And that goal should go down in the annals of history purely because of the technique and the stage it's on and... and what it meant for the club as a whole. It was level pegging on the night, but as things stood, Fulham still needed another goal due to Hamburg's away goal advantage. With 14 minutes left to the 90 remaining, Simon Davies stood between the Hammersmith end and the Johnny Haynes stand, ready to deliver a corner. In by Davis, beyond Hangerland. I thought he was going to shoot and he faked to shoot and you're thinking oh, has the chance gone there but he, he was a clever footballer you know and uh, he obviously knew what he was doing even before he received the ball he knew what was what he wanted to do with it and when it, when he's in the box very rare did, it, did he miss an opportunity when he's one on one or two v one and with a goalkeeper so I think we were all confident that once it ran at his feet with the gold air, it, it, it was only going to end in one way. When Gira scored, just the outpouring, I just, ah, oh, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was so beautiful. And I, there's still this YouTube video I watch, uh, and I watched it a hell of a lot in the summer after, 
to try and repair the Atletico Madrid pain, uh, where it's it's taken from the hammy end, and and it's just it, it shows the pandemonium and the emotion of when of when Gira scored. But I tell you what, time could stand still for a while now for Fulham. This now turns into a long feeling quarter of an hour. Very tense, you know. I think um, naturally as as a football team, whoever it may be, you you end up dropping off five, ten yards. Uh, whereas ten minutes before when you're not you're going for the game, you're going for it and you want to score. You score and you go two one up and you and you look up on the clock and you think we can hold out here, but naturally you start defending, which invites pressure. And, and I think that proves that they had a two or three chances. I think Schwartz saved one off the line, Hangerland saved one off the line, and it was um, it, it was breathtaking. But it was end to end, and we can say it was a great entertainment now because we got to the final. So for the fans and for for the players, going two one up and still entertaining, it it, it was for probably a fantastic football match. At that point, I thought there's absolutely no way. There's nothing we could do here to actually throw this away. I don't, I don't know what it was. I think it was the crowd, um, the fact that you know that that explosion when Gear scored, we completely shell shocked Hamburg with that. I don't think they were expecting it. Now, I think at the time they were going through a real crappy time. They just sacked their manager. They'd been hammered at the weekend, but I think the fact that they were supposed to be hosting that final, I think the nerves then got to them more than it got to us. And I think what once we scored that, that um, once Gear scored, I honestly, I don't, I, I didn't believe for a second that that we were going to throw it away. I hate anybody to think that I'm so arrogant as to remember anything I've ever said because most of it's immaterial. So I, I went and looked the game up myself because I thought, gosh, I, I better remember what I said. And, and um, the, the Hamburg will host the final, Fulham will play in it, was the line that came back to me quickest uh, as a sort of memory of that night. And yeah, other people have in truth mentioned that to me. And I'm, if there's a reason to be happy about that line, it's because like many of the great commentary lines from the greats down the years, it's actually beautifully simple. Um, and it's not one that you had to premeditate or anything like that. I would have had a note at the bottom of Well, I looked back at my notes the other day and I just did have a note at the bottom of my page. I, I just had written down to make sure that I didn't miss any of the key points. What I had to remember, not, not a script for words, but what I had to remember, the key points, if Hamburg went through, so what I had to remember about Fulham's run and how well they'd done and blah, 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 and what it would mean to Hamburg, of course, to play the final at home, and what I had to remember if Fulham went through. And one of the, the sort of NBs I put there with an asterisk next to it was, don't forget, Hamburg will host the final. And so I, I more or less was sort of scouting through my pages for personal things to say as that final whistle went, and I, uh, seeing that, I said, Hamburg will host the final. And then the next line just sort of followed off it, really. And Fulham will play in it. It was one of those, those lucky ones which, which just kind of worked in the moment. I love 
the playoff final commentary, I think that when Tom Kearney scored that goal, the sum, the summing up of, of the goal and the sequence of play is phenomenal, but it has absolutely nothing on the Peter Drury um, summation of, of Gira's goal. You can tell that the whole press box was rooting for Fulham that night, and you can tell the emotion that pours out of his voice, that, you know, the way he, he's basically screaming at the top of his lungs over the fans. And I think that it's, it is pure joy and adulation for a club of our size uh, overthrowing what at that time was a German giant and getting to probably the second most important club competition in the whole of the world and for it just to redefine the era of what the Europa League was it was just uh, an incredible achievement and you can see it uh, being mirrored in an incredible piece of commentary. What an achievement for Roy Hodgson, what an extraordinary achievement for Fulham a level of success that this lovable, once quaint club could never previously have dreamed of. Hamburg's collective dream is shattered. Their party is crashed. If you look at the season that Hamburg had, at the time, they were very disappointed with it. But if you look at how the next 10 years has gone for Hamburg, then actually this season wasn't all that bad because in comparison to Fulham, Hamburg have fallen from a much greater height having been previously European champions for a start and Bundesliga champions, no less, as well. And the following 10 years has been really quite something. And by quite something, I mean awful. Well, let's come on to the real hero of the hour, Roy Hodgson. He had picked Fulham up from relegation favourites to European finalists in just over two years. Here's Mohamed Al-Fayed speaking that night on just what he made of Roy's achievement. I think it's a great achievement for the manager, whom I respect tremendously, and also the player. He's a maestro in really creating the encouragement and the way he trained the player and the way he gives them fantastic touch and all this very important to make the player really to win and they're proud to win and I think what we achieved up to now is tremendous result is a team you know of fantastic people working all together and committed all the time they want to win and uh, I'm very grateful for that. As you would also imagine, Paul Konchesky also had some touching words to echo about his former manager. Obviously, when he first came in, we was near the bottom. So in the short space of time, the management he brought in to get us out of that, maybe the, the rot we was in, was it just the experience he, he obviously had. That's why the owner brought him in. But from, from then on, when he had his, his chance to set his stall out, what he wanted to do and how he wanted to come across, I, I just think the man as himself is a... Man-to-man management was was second to none. He believed in every single person he had at the football club, no matter who it was. He treated no one different, didn't matter who you was. I just think the man in general, he was um, probably one of the best, and you probably always mentioned it before, he's probably one of the best I've worked with. Anybody who has come across him knows that whatever your perception of him, whether you think of him as the the bloke who oversaw England losing to Iceland, or you think of him as the bloke who managed Fulham to a major European final. Anybody knows that, A, he is a very good football brain. He just is. And B, he is an extremely pleasant bloke. He's a proper bloke, really good company, 
and has time for everyone and the sort of bloke that you cannot help but wish well for. And actually, that, that helps as well on a night like that. You sort of think, oh, wouldn't this be great for Roy, who was, I mean, he's still going now 10 years on, but even then you were thinking, well, he must be somewhere near the end now. What a, what a lovely thing this would be to crown his career. And, and so, yeah, fantastic. And, I, you know, I have memories of him on that run, actually. I, I was in Sophia right back at the start of it all. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I just remember him being very pleasant and urbane and so on on the touchline as, as he was. And, and this was about as low-key a European tie as it's possible to imagine uh, right back at the start of the competition. I remember being in the Olympic Stadium Rome when I think, didn't you have a couple of players sent off? And I've never seen Roy Hodgson so angry as he was when he sort of approached us to do the post-match interview that night, he was seething. And funnily enough, I do remember, I did the away leg in Turin, the Juventus first leg. Uh, so I wasn't a very good, happy mascot for you then. But um, <laughs> he, <laughs> the night before the game, believe it or not, my co-commentator for that game was one Gareth Southgate. And as it happens, we sat very respectably, by the way, don't get the wrong idea, but we, we happened to be in the same hotel as the players. And on the eve of the game, I remember sitting and thinking, well, I've died and gone to heaven here. I sat around the table in the um, hotel sort of bar restaurant, uh, drinking a glass of red wine with Gareth Southgate, Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington. And, and really, I didn't say anything. I, I, I just listened to them chewing the fat and thinking, cool, I'm a lucky boy to be keeping this company. And you couldn't help but wish Roy well and it was when the final whistle went I mean really commentator didn't have to say anything we just didn't need a close-up of Roy Hodgson's face and it sort of told the whole story so Fulham had made it to the final the whole event was a fairy tale it was arguably the greatest night in Fulham's history and almost certainly the greatest ever night at Craven Cottage but what impact did it have on Fulham looking forward here's Archie's take this Fulham side was a ragtag collection of players who you wouldn't have necessarily put together. And they all came together. And the strength of them was that they all had this common goal of they had something left in them to prove. They had a point to prove collectively and individually. And I think that it really, it built the name of Fulham around Europe, around the world. It it made Fulham an attractive destination to come to, which was almost part of the problem because the whole idea of Fulham was, was Breda Hangland. It was graft. It was, you're not bigger than anyone else. You have to earn it. And in a way it probably kind of caused problems in that sense. I mean, can you imagine any player other than Dimitar Berbatov saying, keep calm and pass me the ball from that 2009, 2010 site? He would have got kicked out the dressing room. They didn't take egos. Look at Chris Baird punching Jimmy Bullard. Like, it it wasn't tolerated. Jimmy Bullard leaving Fulham was one of the things that started this Europa League run because you saw the the way that the team spirit really closed in a lot more and having somebody who actually benefited the side on a playing side in terms of giving the defensive solidity that Dixon Atuhu gave, for example. So it did a lot for Fulham and it, it was a big watershed moment for the club but it brought good things but also also things that I don't think the club was quite ready for. I think for me 
I mean, I um, obviously grew, I grew up in, in, in Northern Ireland, so there weren't a, an awful lot of Fulham fans. I'll be honest, I didn't know a single other Fulham fan until I turned about 19. Um, so I think, I think in a place where there was so few people really cared, all of a sudden it went from people being, you know, sorry, who? Who's that? To people being, oh, my word, this is, you know, what Fulham are doing is, is incredible. I think for our own club, obviously, it, it gives us um, a real talking point, something that we can be incredibly proud of. But I think for the wider footballing world, what it does is I think we prove to people that the underdog can do inc- inc- incredible things. It was the biggest night in Fulham's history, that's for sure. I think some people may argue that that afternoon in May was probably bigger for us than the Europa League final, but for me it's absolutely not true. That that night we beat Hamburg will define us as a club will define us as a club there. I think it defined what the whole Hodgson era was and I think it was the biggest step for any English club to have made given our size, given what we had achieved in Europe before, given that before we played Atletico in the final, we'd never played a Spanish opponent ever, uh, which basically paints a very good picture of what our past history on the continent was like. Um, And I think it gave us an opportunity to leapfrog into a new era and it put Fulham on the map where they had never really been on it before. The whole run from start to finish was incredible. It made people stand up and take note of who Fulham were. It made people stand up and take note of who Roy Hodgson was, who Danny Murphy was, who Zoltan Gira was, who Bobby Zamora was. And I think it done more for the club in one evening than we maybe had in the rest of our history. It may be a bit of an outlandish statement to make, but I think that this is our biggest achievement ever. And it was a fairy tale from start to finish. Well, let's leave the final input to Peter and why he was so passionate about that match and why he was personally so happy for Fulham to record that result. One is a genuine fondness for Fulham. I, I think maybe you have rivals as a club who, who wouldn't think this way, but it's, it's hard not to like Fulham. It's, it's uh, also hard not to love working there because it's such a charming place to watch football. I mean, just just beautiful but it also comes to the fact that that uh, way back at the start of my sports reporting career i worked for a, a well-known agency in london called haters in the late 80s early 90s and i did used to work on fourth division games at craven cottage as a new cub reporter when there were two or three thousand rattling around when there was week by week talk of bankruptcy going to the wall fulham ceasing to exist when Ray Lewington was the manager in those times, and you know what a good bloke he was, he had a, a nigh-on impossible job. And I remember him sort of coming into the little broom cupboard underneath the, the main stand, which they used to call laughingly the press room, and just talking to whatever it was, two or three of us who were reporters, about how difficult it was and how you just lost 2-0 at home to Bristol Rovers or Notts County or somebody. And I, I couldn't help reflecting that there, there we were just a couple of decades on, uh, and this was happening to Fulham. And back in those fourth division days, used to sit in the old press box, which is actually still unchanged at Craven Cottage, God bless it. And you could hear the individual shouts of the crowd. And here it was, 20 years later, and this extraordinary uh, occurrence had, had come to pass. Uh, and, and it was lovely because it didn't really need much thought or preparation that period of time because... It sort of was from the heart, you know. It was a it was a 
genuinely beautiful sporting occasion. And unless you happen to be one of the tiny minority of Hamburg supporters or someone out there who has some something against Fulham, and I suppose in the world of professional football, those people must exist. But beyond that tiny minority... It was hard not to be carried away by it. It indeed was a night that swept many of us off our feet and one that any Fulham fan in attendance or watching on TV will remember forever. And of course gave us one of the great Fulham days back in Hamburg for the final on May the 12th. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unforgettable here on the Fulhamish podcast with me, Sammy James. I would like to extend my thanks to Ben Jarman, Lydia Campbell, Archie Rintup, Peter Drury and Paul Gonczewski for their fantastic contributions to this special look back. If you haven't listened to it yet, please do check out our previous episode of Unforgettable, looking back at the triumphant Juventus comeback in March 2010. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Fulhamish on your podcast app of choice to make sure you get all our latest episodes straight to your phone.